So if you don't mind my asking, um, Cheryl, I'm not Cheryl, I've got Cheryl on my brain. Uh, Janice, is, is she here this morning? Okay, is, is she sick? Do you want to know? Okay. Oh, she's out of town. Okay, I noticed she wasn't at the retirement dinner, but I didn't want to make assumptions. But then I noticed a lot of people are in here that are in the ladies' Sunday school class. So, okay. All right, she's out of town. So, I, okay, so Abby's gone back to Michigan. Abby, uh, those that don't know, Janice is our pastor's wife, and she has a Sunday school class. But Abby, their daughter, is studying in college in Michigan, and so uh, she's gone back that way. We had Abby here for a couple weeks. Okay, I was just curious. I figured there was, I figured Janice probably wasn't here this morning, so I just wondered. Okay, well, as we go ahead and continue in our study, um, this is the title slide uh, for the series overall, and we do have quite a few uh, from the Sunday school class as well as visitors this morning. Um, So let me catch you up to speed on what we've uh, been looking at. Um, So uh, I've been um, using as a primary source a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, and so we're just looking at some basic Bible teachings, or you might uh, say Bible doctrines, and the word doctrine just means teachings. Uh, in fact, I remember, um, I probably shared this um, before, but um, I remember, uh, I think I heard this uh, from Pastor Dean, and he mentioned someone uh, was coming and visiting the church and said to him, well, you guys don't teach doctrine here, do you? He's like, well, doctrine just means teaching, so yes, we do. <laughs> we do uh, teach doctrine here, and but I, I think it, in some people's minds, the word doctrine maybe sounds like when you start to just nitpick on, you know, high, you know, kind of high-minded teachings that maybe aren't on a practical level. I'm just trying to imagine, by the way. So I think some, it's just like this, something you would debate in a universe, a Bible university. Uh, theologians would debate it, but for your average Christian, you, this is like a waste of time. Like people nitpick on these doctrinal issues when, and they're not, they're almost disconnected from scriptural teaching. So for some people, the word doctrine has a negative to it. But we're not using it that way. We're just talking about looking in the scriptures and trying to understand what the Bible teaches on various issues. Okay, so we opened up, um, I don't know that I used the word unit. Yeah, I didn't use the word unit. Um, but if I was thinking of this, like, uh, by the way, I teach here in the Christian school, uh, so I'm a teacher by uh, profession, and um, so I'm used to textbooks a lot, of course, in my own schooling, textbooks, and books are often divided into units, so if we divided it that way, like a typical textbook, unit one was the doctrine of God, what does the Bible teach on God, um, then unit two here is the doctrine of man, what are some truths about man uh, that are taught and so I, I'm not going to say that uh, this is exhaustive because it's not really my inclination to want to bog down and teach this for years. I mean, you, you could literally teach it for years. The, the book is this thick, um, and I don't remember how many pages on it. The, the lesson today was around page 500, um, so that's where the chapter was at, and... Um, and so my goal is to try to go through it somewhat quickly. Uh, generally, I'm covering a chapter a week, although today I'll uh, cover this topic uh, today in two lessons. Uh, so the general unit or part that we're in is doctrine of man. The lesson 
uh, today is about sin. And so that's what we're going to focus on in today. And so we'll begin in uh, this, with our first slide here, sin, talking a little bit about the definition of sin. Okay. Well, Grudem, and again, I'll refer to him a lot because I'm just using him as a guide. Um, that's one thing that's nice. There's a lot of people out there that have done a lot of work putting together a lot of material in books. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm just going to those and gleaning from that and pulling material in as we uh, take a look at our own lesson today. Uh, Grudem defines uh, sin. I think his uh, definition is good. It's not uh, quite the way I've tended to define it, so I'm going to pull in um, the definition I've tended to use, which is, um, which is a good one. And I think um, the, the traditional definition that I've, uh, tended to stick with, uh, which is, doesn't come from me, so by the way, it's not my definition. It's actually looking at what the Greek word itself uh, refers to will help us maybe understand Grudem's definition as well. Uh, he says this, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, nature. Okay, so but the basic idea is failure to conform to the moral law of God. Okay, so God has a moral law, and so whether we fail to conform to it in what we do, our acts, or in our attitudes, or in just our very nature, who we are. Any way that we don't conform to the moral law of God, that's how Grudem defines a sin. Okay? And so the definition that I've often thought of is looking at uh, the word sin itself, um, especially um, when I think of the word in the Greek, and the Hebrew has a similar meaning to it, which I'll, um, I'll support by mentioning a quote from a Jewish source. But it's the idea that the word sin means missing the mark. Okay. Well, if God has a moral law, as, as Grudem points out, if we fail to conform to that, we've missed the mark. Okay. And so I think the two are, are very compatible, but to me, I, I don't know, I just very much am attracted to um, focusing on the meaning of the word sin because it's just a real easy way to remind me of that. And so um, I think it's, uh, but, you know, I think for some people, um, when they think of sin, they just think of re doing really bad things. Um, we think of things as, you know, like if somebody's very immoral, uh, we know that murder is a really bad thing. You're not supposed to kill people. So we think, oh, that's a sin. But we maybe say things, well, it's a little white lie. That's not so bad, so that doesn't seem that big a deal. And so, and I'm speaking, by the way, of just humans in general, uh, that we have some things we think that's wrong, and other things, eh, you know, so it doesn't matter that much. And so um, the Bible doesn't define sin as doing something really bad. I mean, those are sin, but that's not only what sin is. It's missing the mark. So it's an archery term. In fact, I'm going out of order in my notes here. So I'm going to see if I can find, um, trying to skip ahead here, where I have that quote I mentioned. There it is. I thought it was later in my notes. It's right here in front of me on the page I was on. I was skimming around, trying to find it somewhere else. Okay. Now, this, this is a um, book that I'm used last week when we got done with our lesson early I just taught a few things out of it um, 
it, the, the title of the book is called Every Person's Guide to Judaism. Um, so the, it's written by those that are not Christians that reject Christ as Messiah. Now, why did I buy that book? I, you know, I'm looking in the scriptures. It's, to me, it's like trying to understand perhaps the mindset of the Pharisees in the Bible or you know, those that are Jewish. Um, I also figured um, when I bought the book, it was just used, used to book, a bookstore over in Monterey where I got it. I figured when I bought it, uh, it also might give me insight. The Jews really focus on things like the, the different Jewish holidays, um, the feasts and observances that they have. And if I ever was interested, kind of knowing, you know, maybe a Jewish perspective on some of those that I might look in the book. Um, but here's, um, here's a section in there where they uh, comment on the word sin. And it just tells you it's not just in the Greek where it means missing the mark, but just from a Jewish perspective that wouldn't even look at the uh, New Testament says this when most people think of judgment they also think of sin one of the Hebrew words for sin is chet c-h-e-t this was originally an archery term meaning missing the mark in using this word Jewish tradition draws an analogy between the life and archery just as an archer does not always hit the bullseye so each of us does not always act in ways consonant with our own highest values we sometimes miss the mark now, I think in that, it's got a hint in there. It reveals one of the problems we saw with the Pharisees in the Bible. The Pharisees were always looking to their own righteousness, they were their own self-righteousness to make them right with God. In fact, there's further, uh, further reading in this um, section of that book uh, that reveals that. They talk about um, how they don't think that everyone necessarily uh, is sinful, um, they um, say that Judaism now I, I don't know how much this book speaks for all Judaism can you find one book that speaks for all Christians <laughs> okay now if you thought that might be possible it just means you're not that familiar with different groups of Christians you can't find any uh, almost well there might be a few exceptions I don't even know if there are a few exceptions I would have to think long and hard if there was one topic that you could say all Christians agree on now, I'm using the word Christian very broadly. In the broad umbrella of Christianity, we're talking about Catholics, Protestants, and within Protestants, all the different denominations. Can you find any one topic that everyone agrees on uh, completely? Um, well, I, I don't know. Let me know if you can. I'd be interested in knowing what you come up with on that. Well, can this book speak for all Jews? I doubt it. Because uh, human nature, I, I just got to assume, I'm not that familiar with all the different Jewish uh, sects that are out there. Um, but I just I assume probably not. Okay. Well, um, the book talks, you know, just as if this is general in Judaism. Uh, and they mention that the concept of us inheriting a sin nature, the concept of original sin, which we're going to get to later in our lesson today, they said Judaism doesn't have that concept. I don't know if that's really true of all Judaism. At least it's true of the, uh, the writers of this book. And so it was interesting. They said, you know, that therefore it's not assumed that everyone has chosen to sin. We have it within our ability, again, according to this book, to sin or not to sin, and therefore not everyone necessarily even needs to be saved. I think they put the word saved in quotes. And well, this would be consistent with what you know my observations are and understanding in the scripture when you're looking at the Jews that 
um, crucified Christ. Uh, they rejected. Um, they they really rejected the concept that they needed salvation. Um, like the one example when the one Jew, um, Jewish, and I forget in the story. I didn't look this up. Um, if he was a a rabbi, or if he was, you know, perhaps um, he was a scribe or a Pharisee. I think he might have been a Pharisee because Jesus often was contrasting them with others. But it's the man who went down to the temple and he made a big show of his offering. They blew trumpets and and made this big show about it. And then this other guy uh, went down who wouldn't even look up. He just felt himself unworthy even to stand and and stand before God as he. Um, prayed and and um, just asked God forgive me. Um, he looked at himself as a sinner and said the one man went away justified. One man went away made right in the sight of God. The other was full of his own self righteousness. And so it seems to be a major problem within Judaism that the scriptures point out. And so in the one book I have, it's the only book I have that's written from a Jewish perspective seems to have that same thought in it, that not, no, not everyone has sin, not everyone needs to be saved, because they don't necessarily have anything. You, you have the ability to choose to do right or wrong. Well, that's going to be a major thought we have in our lesson today. Uh, but I do think it's interesting, though, that, that the Jewish understanding is that this term sin does mean missing the mark. And again, when we go back to Grudem's definition, any failure to conform uh, to the moral law of God. And so... Um, Regarding this, then, um, it has uh, some to do with lawlessness, uh, the law of God. For example, in 1 John 3, verse 4, uh, now there's a lot of verses this morning. If you want to try to keep up, feel free to try to keep up. And if you'd like to just listen to me uh, read the verse, that would be fine. I'll have small pauses um, uh, because I don't want to uh, leave you in my dust if you'd like to see for yourself. But 1 John 3, 4. So, again, uh, giving some insight into the word sin regarding the law of God. Uh, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. Okay, but then the next phrase is interesting. For sin is the transgression of the law. So this idea of lawlessness. Um, We're told in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, a little bit further um, on this concept. I'll read in just a moment. But again, Grudem's definition, while you're getting a chance to turn there, if you desire to, Romans 2.14, sin is a failure to conform to the moral law of God. Now, Romans 2, verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these people, these Gentiles that don't even have the, the, the scriptures, by the way, the law... Um, especially um, in reference to the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible um, given to us as a verse. I think it comes up later in my notes, but um, we would not know sin but the law. Um, By the way, it's a little side note here. Good parenting technique for those that have kids. I think it's a very good idea as a parent that you've clearly communicated expectations so if you get if your kid gets in trouble but they didn't know if they were supposed to do something, but if there's a clear expectation 
I think both of what they should be doing, but maybe also whether this is, how important is this? Do I get in trouble if I don't do this? Or is it kind of voluntary? Clear expectations is a good thing. And then uh, I think even better than that is to add to that consequences. Okay, so if it's expected, you know, that there's going to be consequences to the actions. Um, that's what God tends to do. Uh, you see that in the scriptures. He, he teaches something. He says, okay, here's what I'm expecting, especially in his covenant with us as as his children. This is my expectation. Here's what I'm expecting. Don't do this. Don't do that. Here's the expectations. And here's what's going to happen if you do. And here's what's going to happen if you don't. And so the law of God was given. But we know that the scriptures, the written law, was given to uh, the Jews. And they, in a sense, became the guardians and custodians of that written law and the law of Moses. And in verse 14, for when the Gentiles, which did not have that law, when they do by nature the things contained in the law, I think the implication here is when they break the law, they do the things the law says not to do or don't do the things the law says to do. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which, verse 15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Well, uh, Romans uh, chapter 2 makes the case that God has given enough enlightenment, enough knowledge in in our conscience and awareness of his existence, but also morality. Uh, thankfully can you imagine if mankind apart from God had no concept of any morality I mean think about the laws of the United States which are largely um, many of the laws are accepted and endorsed especially the moral side of the laws are accepted and endorsed by non-Christians what if non-Christians yeah murder rape those things are fine we don't see any problem with those things you know survival of the fittest and now, we do recognize that non-Christians have a lot of problems in their thinking, and the extent to which they have problems in their thinking um, you know, varies from you know, year to year, you know, decade to decade, generation to generation. Um, yet, there's a morality that's, that is there inherent to some extent in our conscience, and we understand that certain things don't seem to be right. We generally would say, yeah, is lying okay? I mean, even though a lot of people lie, maybe almost all of us. We don't think of it as really that's as a positive thing. Lying, cheating, stealing, okay? killing, murder, you know, rape, things like that. And so there's a general conscience, and that's what Paul is saying, that even though they didn't have the actual law of God, they had the law of God in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, verse 15, and their thoughts... Um, uh, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Okay? And so they, they all had the law of God in some way, written in their hearts or the, the very written law of God, um, which Paul was referencing with the Jews. And so that uh, concept, when looking at sin, uh, would make sense that that's a part of the concept of sin, that there's a breaking of God's law uh, in some way. Okay? So now uh, these thoughts will continue uh, to develop as we look at other aspects here, but we'll look at the second point on this slide, uh, the origin of sin. And so we've uh, had various lessons over the, uh, the last couple years, especially when we were in the book of Romans, and some of these concepts came up. We understand, um, and even recently in our uh, concept of God himself, when we were looking at the doctrine of God, 
God is not the origin of sin. Um, Here's how Grudem words it. God himself did not sin. And God is not... uh, Actually, let me see here. I used a voice recognition software and it messed up this section. Okay. So it has a it has about five words in a row that don't make any sense. All right, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna continue the quote there and go past that. Okay, uh, God, God Himself is not sin, and I believe it's supposed to say, and He's not the origin of sin. It was man who sinned, and it was angels also who sinned. And in both cases, they did so by willful, voluntary choice. To blame God for sin would be blasphemy against the character of God. Uh, Now, the concept of blasphemy is kind of similar to the concept of defamation. Um, Anything that we would say against God that would kind of tear down or lower his character. Um, If you said something about his character, in this case, it would definitely be blasphemy because, you know, God's a sinner or, you know, he, he was wrong for this. Saying something against his character or anything that would approach in that realm at all if we it could be blasphemy to take god and speak disrespectfully of him um, such as it would uh taking the lord's name in vain you know, maybe using the lord's name as a curse word someone that should be worshiped to speak of him in low terms um not to exalt him okay well it would make sense then uh here uh that he mentions that it would be blasphemy for us to uh, say God is the origin of sin. Okay, here are some verses that pertain to this. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. Now, judgment there, it's like a judge in a court. You know, you hope a judge is going to make a right decision. Okay, he is perfect. All his ways are judgment, implying all his ways, they're, they're right judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity or sin, just and right is he. So that's one verse in the Bible that uh, reveals and teaches us uh, something about God's character. Genesis 18.25, Abraham asks, in fact, he's appealing to God on the basis of God's own character. Okay, uh, and I um, believe the context here is... Uh, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah where there's the debate with um, God about well will you spare these towns if I can find X amount of righteous people in the town and he appeals in Genesis 18.25 to God say this shall not the God of all earth do right Abraham's appealing to him expecting you are a person who would do right would you not spare these towns if we can find some righteous people in them Uh, to spare them or in James 1 verse 13 says in this verse God cannot be tempted with evil he's he's not he doesn't have this temptation this ability really to go that direction this is out of character with God now Grudem says the following yet on the other hand we must guard against an opposite error it would be wrong for us to say there is, and now I think he's going to respond to something. That when, I, when I was reading this, I was like, well, hmm, I wouldn't have had that thought at all. Uh, but then I, when he said I said, well, yeah, there, 
that's a pretty common thought in, in human society. But I'll continue reading here. Um, it would be wrong to us to say there is an, uh, an eternally existing evil power in the universe similar to or equal to God, uh, similar to God himself in power. To say this would be to affirm what is called an ultimate dualism in the universe. And then I say, oh, okay, yeah, the yin and the yang, you know, the little circle with the black and white sides. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, that, that concept's there. Um, you know, you watch Star Wars and you've got the force and there's the dark side of the force and the light side of the force, which is basically the, the, the writer of Star Wars, um, as I understand, is a Zen Buddhist. And so he has uh, some Zen Buddhist uh, teaching uh, that come up there. Um, well, yeah, I guess, uh, at, I mean, I was thinking, well, I never had that thought in my mind that there's some power of darkness opposite God. But I thought, well, okay, more I think about it, yeah, that's out there quite a bit in non-Bible teaching circles. So he says, uh, let's not go there. That's not the Bible, even though there's God who's good, does not imply that there's something opposite him, equal or close to him, that's the evil. Um, so let me continue reading. Also, we must never think that sin surprised God or challenged him or overcame his omnipotence or his providential control over the universe. Yeah, God is omnipotent. He, uh, he's powerful. He could have done differently. He is omniscient. He knew ahead of time what was going to happen. In fact, the Bible teaches us that before the foundations of the world, he already had a plan of salvation in place in his mind of what he was going to do to solve the sin problem. Um, nothing uh, took him by surprise. Therefore, continued reading with Gruden, even though we must never say that God himself sinned or he is to be blamed for sin, yet we must also, and now we're going to read some things that for some um, maybe for all of us, uh, could be a little uncomfortable thoughts to think about. And I'm sure we've all thought about them at times, uh, the things that we might wrestle with in our minds. We must also affirm that the God who, quote from Ephesians 1.11, accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, it's his providence, his omnipotence. I, I, I keep saying the word omnipotence when I don't want to. His sovereignty, that's the word I keep wanting to say. Okay, um, God in his sovereignty, God in his providential care. By the way, I have a little uh, side advertisement. A book I just really appreciate and, and love a lot. I've considered uh, doing it at Sunday school, and I've already mentioned that before. Not by chance is the title of the book. Not by chance, learning to trust a sovereign God. If you're interested in a reading on the sovereignty of God, the providential uh, workings of God amongst people, um, I think it's a very excellent book to read. Uh, the, the name, uh, the author is Leighton Talbert. First name Leighton, L-A-Y-T-O-N, Talbert. I'm not sure if I can get that one right. T-A-L-B-E-R-T. Yeah, but it won't be that hard to find, especially if you have, start with a title. Not by chance, learning to trust a sovereign God. And uh, now there's a lot of diversity um, amongst Bible-believing Christians. Now I'll take broad umbrella of Christianity. Let's narrow that down uh, to groups I think are more solid in their Bible teaching and committed to the Bible being 
our sole authority for what we believe and what we do amongst that which is a more narrow than the whole broad umbrella of Christianity which would include all kinds of groups uh, even you know perhaps Mormons Jehovah's Witnesses Catholics Protestants let's narrow that down to those that at least affirm and agree that Jesus Christ is the only source of salvation and that we cannot save ourselves we don't do anything in part through our own works amongst those there's disagreement on this idea of God's sovereignty and his providence Um, so it's one of those touchy issues it touches on things like you know Calvinism versus Arminianism uh, to what you know so we're not going to get into that deeply this morning although I think if you have an interest in studying that this book I believe is an excellent book Um, it's not trying to delve into Calvinism, Arminianism debate, it's delving into God's providence. What, what can we see in the scripture about how God providentially interacts amongst the affairs of men? Um, I'll mention, um, which I think is a, a, a good way to try to um, keep a handle on the word providence, is to think about the word itself. Pro, providence, providence, Provideo, pro, I, I kind of like video sounds better to me, but I mean, if you want to make it sound kind of anglicized, uh, pro video, um, video, well, we, you know, we're all familiar with videos, it's something you see, you look at it, uh, you don't generally, I mean, you, you do listen to the soundtrack of a video, but you're generally going to be watching videos, well, it's pro video, or pro video, um, pro is a prefix that means before, and video is a root word that means to see. So what does God do? He sees beforehand what needs to be done, and he, and he gets it done. He pro-videos in life. Um, th- thus he pro-videoed when he saw ahead of time that man would sin and that he would need a, uh, there would need to be a solution to sin. So he ahead of time saw the need, he pro-video, and he provided salvation for mankind through Christ. And so this is what uh, God does. He providios. But here's some of the uncomfortableness part of it, is that we must affirm that the God who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, he is providence, he providios, and he sees everything, and he ahead of time knows what exactly what he's going to do. The God who does according to his will, uh, here's another a quote from, uh, let's see, is this the, I think this is uh, Daniel chapter 435, does according to his will and the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand, stay his hands like prevent him, uh, stay his hand or hold back his hand and say to him, what are you doing? And no one can question God. No one can hold his hand back from what he wants to accomplish. Um, he can provideo. He can, he can providentially control. He, can, he, he sovereignly rules. And no one, no one can hold him back. So given that, we, we understand, I'll continue reading, that God did ordain. Or, now, some of us might be comfortable with that word ordain, um, especially if one's less comfortable thinking that God's in control of everything. Now, I think I personally think that that's the right view, but amongst Christianity, some um, are less comfortable with that. 
But I'm going to point out uh, that the, um, something about this in just a moment. But God did ordain that sin would come into the world. And even though he does not delight in it, and even though he ordained that it would come about through the voluntary choices of moral creatures. Okay? Now, the thought is this. God knew ahead of time sin was going to happen. He could have chosen differently. Uh, he chose not to do it differently. That doesn't mean he's the originator of sin. He didn't cause sin. Uh, he, but he did allow for the circumstances that allowed for sin. So he allowed for man to have a choice. He didn't make us robots. He could have made us robots. He did that to much of creation. Um, animals don't have that type of choice that we have. Um, they... And I think I mentioned before, like dogs, I think of our dog and any dog I've ever had, uh, they don't, I don't think they really feel guilty when they do something they shouldn't do. Like former dog we had that was sneaking the chocolates out of the dish, even though we told him no. Um, as long as we weren't looking, they go sneak and do it. Um, you can't, you know, I think there's no conscience. I don't think they have any awareness of sin. They don't understand it at all. Um, they, they don't have what God created in us, created in the image of God uh, to be able to do. And so, but, but the uncomfortableness is to understand that God knew and did allow for that. Now, that's a big question that sometimes we have, as people wonder, well, why, why did God do that? Why would, it, it goes to other uncomfortable questions. Why does God allow wickedness to happen in the world? Why does God allow bad people to do really bad things to uh, people that are good, uh, is often asked. Uh, of course, the Bible teaches that none of us are really good, um, but that's a common question. Well, maybe as we continue to study the topic this morning, uh, it'll, it'll be in, you know, thoughts from the scripture that aid us as we think through those issues. But here's the, the one thing that would be clear, at least at this point. God knew, based upon his providence, based upon uh, his omniscience, he knew ahead of time what was going to happen. He was omnipotent. He could have chosen to do different. But the fact is, he did what he did. Okay? And he allowed for that. Okay? Again, though, we're on the topic of what's the origin of sin. Even though, and I'll read this uh, passage again. Um, even though he does not delight in, uh, sorry, he did ordain that sin would come into the world, even though he does not delight in it, and even though he ordained that it would come through the voluntary choices of moral creatures. So he did allow for that. Okay, well, let's move on as we'll have more things come back maybe into play here. Okay. So where did sin originate then? Well, it, the angels sinned. They were allowed to make that choice. And, but from our perspective as humans, really, we think of Adam and Eve. Now, sin obviously happened before Adam and Eve because Satan came and the uh, in the form of the serpent and tempted her to sin so he would have already made that choice prior to uh, Eve's temptation uh, but they're eating of the fruit in the uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the scriptures um, is where sin began for humans now a um, little side note I'll mention the Grudem uh, mentions um, in many ways it's typical of how sin generally uh, happens uh, so if we look at that account, and I'm just going to do this super quick. Uh, first, there's sin struck at the basis for knowledge. 
where it gave a different answer to the question, what is true? And remember, he, he tried to question her on, well, what did God say? Well, you know, is that really going to happen? Yeah, are you really going to die the day you eat the fruit? You know, so questioning what is true. A second thing Grudem says is their sin struck at the basis for moral standards, for it gave a different answer. We're talking about different from what God said. The first one, what is true? God says, here's what's going to happen to you if you eat that fruit. And Satan questioned that. The second one, a different answer to this question, what is right? Okay? And of course, Satan wanted to say, hey, God's trying to keep you from something good here. Like, this would be a good thing for you to do. This would be a right choice. It's actually going to be beneficial to you. It's going to be good for you. So it, it gave a different answer to the question, what is right? And third, their sin gave a, a different answer to the question, who am I? Okay, um, well, the correct answer to that question is you are a uh, creation of God. You're creatures of God. That's who you are. Uh, you should be dependent upon him. You should be subordinate to him uh, as creator and Lord. Uh, you're, you're not to try to be God. You're not trying to elevate yourself like God. Because as Satan said, you know, God knows that you know, on the day you eat thereof, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so um, it had wrong answers to those. What is true? What is right? And who are you on that? So that's something that he points out. But let me move to our next slide here. Okay. So this is the doctrine of inherited sin. That's the term uh, that Great Gruden uh, uses for this. Uh, sometimes people use uh, the term original sin. Uh, Grudem doesn't uh, tend to use that term. He says, though, that if you are going to use the term original sin, um, remind yourself that it's, if you're going to use that correctly, it needs to refer back not to the original sin, like eating the fruit, but the, the, the original sin nature that is inherited and really if con the concept of us having an inherited uh, sin that we inherit a sin nature well then original sin is our inherited sin nature so it's not referring to what Adam did like the uh, one original there well we might come back and say more about that uh, but let's look at some verses here on the effects of Adam's sin Romans 5 12 wherefore as by one man Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so there is this uh, first sinning by humans that was passed on uh, to us from that. Okay? As by one man sin entered into the world. Here's another verse, uh, same passage, uh, the next verse actually. Um, in fact, let me come back to some of those. I have uh, Romans 5, uh, 12 through 21 here that we're going to jump back and forth amongst a number of verses here. So if you're trying to follow along on that, you might want to keep Romans 5, 12 handy, even if we look at another verse. Okay? Well, what we're going to see generally in this Romans 5 passage is that Adam is being compared to Christ in these uh, situations. So in verse 12, when it uses the word so, it indicates that through the death of Adam, all people have sinned. Um, so again, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, death became as a result of that, so death passed upon all uh, men. Okay? And so it ties that sin of Adam to all of us. Okay? 
All right, so that's one of the verses that's making the case, have we inherited a sin nature? Now, the source I mentioned at the beginning, um, uh, every man's guide to Judaism, he says, no, we, Judaism doesn't hold to that. Again, I don't know if he speaks for all Jews or not, uh, the writer of that, um, but that's what they say in the book. Um, and not all Bible-believing Christians necessarily hold to that either. Um, Grudem points out that there are some that are of the Arminian persuasion. By the way, um, if you're, since you're visiting our church, our church doesn't really call ourselves Calvinist or Arminian on that. Um, and I realize that um, people may or may not be familiar with those terms uh, there. Um, so I'm not, I don't want to go into detail on those this morning. Uh, but for those that understand those terms or are somewhat familiar with uh, the debate there, that might help you know, it might be helpful to you on that. Uh, but he points out that some of, that are of the Arminian persuasion um, are, um, do not accept the idea that we've inherited a sin nature from Adam automatically, partly based upon the concept it doesn't seem to be fair. And I'm hoping we get, you know, I can keep this moving along enough to get that concept of fairness here. In fact, I'll, I'll even skip some other things just to comment on it. Okay, but... Um, so here's the concept here um, that we're looking at, um, and this is how Grudem puts it. God thought of the entire human race as having sinned when Adam disobeyed. Regarding verses 13 and 14 in Romans 5, he says, Even though people sins, sinned before Moses, they were not counted as infractions of the law because the law was not yet written. They still died, though. They were counted as guilty based upon Adam's sin, which is affirmed in verses 18 and 19. So let's look at those verses. But again, we go back to Grudem's definition, you know, violating God's moral law. So if you look at verse 13, for until the law, for until the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now the idea of imputed would be to take something that you did not do and have it credited to your account or as if you did do it or, or give you credit for it or hold you accountable for it. And so um, I'm going to sneak out one of the uh, answers to um, a potential objection is whether God's fair. If this were true, is God being fair to uh, Im impute sin, to, to hold us guilty for sin starting with Adam's sin, like we inherit a sin nature, does that seem to be fair? Well, the same concept, really the same legal concept, is true of salvation. Is it fair that God takes the righteousness of Jesus and allows that righteousness to be imputed to a person's account, to credit them with it, which is the concept of salvation? Uh, I, I love the image in the book of Isaiah of a robe of righteousness, it's like Jesus takes off his robe of righteousness and gets to put it on us, and then God looks at us, and our sins are washed away and forgiven, and the robe of righteousness of Christ is what he sees. Well, wait a minute, is that fair? Shouldn't we be held accountable for the sins we have done? That would be one fairness concept, but one of the biggest ones, because if we think it's unfair that someone has inherited a sin nature from Adam, it would also be equally unfair that God would provide salvation for the sins we have done. Now, another, um, another uh, answer to the unfairness of God is 
Oh, no, my brain just went blank. It's going to come back to me. Um, it's uh, oh boy, <laughs> it's going to come back to me, or I'm going to find it in my notes. All right, hold on. It's going. It's not going to be that hard to find. I'm over fifty, um, so that means that my fifty-year warranty has run out on certain things, and so my memory is one of them. So, all right. <laughs> okay. Um, Give me a second while I read it to freshman. Ah, yes, okay, there was the concept. Yeah, uh, it's going to uh, quarter till is okay? Yeah, just making sure we're on time there, so that's a good reminder. Um, so everyone has done wrong, even if it, we thought to ourselves, well, we shouldn't be held accountable for the sin of Adam. It's kind of a moot point. We've all done sin anyways. So we're all guilty no matter whether we understand this concept. We inherit it now. Maybe not according to every man's guide for Judaism. Maybe not everyone has sinned. But the Bible clearly teaches that everyone has. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scriptures teach. Everyone has done right. And by the way, the one I quoted from the book of Romans, the other one from the book of Isaiah, or no, maybe Jeremiah, um, in other words, it's not just New Testament concepts. Even in the Old Testament scriptures that the Jews have, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We, we, in fact, I love the book, I think it's in the book of Proverbs, where it says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Even when mankind, apart from God, does something like plow a field, which seems like no big deal, God says the plowing of the wicked is sin. Why? He does not do it for the glory of God. He's got motives ulterior to glorify God, with, uh, as the book of 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. In everything you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Anytime we miss the mark, like I'm imagining a bullseye on the, there, glorify God when you plow a field. Oops, missed that one. Sin. All our righteousness, every good thing you do, walk an old lady across the street, but you did it for something other than the glory of God, sin. You missed the mark. You did it for other reasons. Who knows why you did it? You like, you know, you liked her, but you didn't love God. Maybe that's a righteous. I mean, we'd say that's a good thing. All our righteousnesses. That's how we could say they're all as filthy rags. They're not really completely righteous. There might be aspects of them that are a good thing, but they're not good when all is said and done. And so is God unfair in this? Now, I'm gonna, this is a two-part lesson, so I'm going to kind of stop it there. But I, I didn't want to leave today hanging too much and getting into the concept of, has God been unfair in this process? Now, here's another thought I'll add to that. The, the ultimate righteous judge has judged this righteous. And so who are we to come to the ultimate righteous judge and tell him that he has been unrighteous in something that doesn't quite make sense to us, or we wouldn't have done it that way. We are fallible, sinful people who don't see things perfectly. So far be it from us to tell the ultimate righteous judge that he has been unfair in something he's chosen to do. This means our thinking's wrong. We're off. We don't understand everything completely. It might still feel unfair, but then we, we say, okay, it feels unfair, but I will take that thought and I will put it in submission to Scripture and what God says. It's un, it is fair. It is righteous. As much as I might feel like it's not, I will submit and put all my thoughts into submission to the Word of God and to God himself. 
and I will just I will write off my thoughts as incorrect. And I think that's a good thought in general to do with Scripture. Uh, of course, that's based upon this underlying presupposition that the Bible is the Word of God, and that it's got truth in it because it's the Bible that reveals who God is, and God is completely righteous. And if these things are true, then I'm going to take my thought about unfairness on God's part, and I'm going to discount it. It can't be true. I, I just, I, I have wrong thinking as a human.